You work in a hospital, nothing's embarrassing. Mr. Rowe, your nightgown's on backwards. So, you want to talk constipation? My patients get a regular. So do I. But some laxatives taste gritty, like swallowing sand. So I take Metamucil. Watch how easy mixing Metamucil Sunrise Smooth compares to this ordinary fiber. It's easier to take because the grit is gone. Helps me stay regular. Helps me keep up. Oh, gotta go. Metamucil Sunrise Smooth for regularity. The grit is gone. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruction sequence completed and engaged. No! Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 47. This is the the TOS edition. That's the old school edition. Kirk <laughs> Trek. I'm Chris like Honeywell, that. and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hello. And we're going to do some seriously old school Trek today. As in geriatric old school. I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yep. They've come to pay their respects to Alvin. Somebody broke it. (laughs) That's a different one, but I like that one, too. It's almost (laughs) the same sort of entrance. (laughs) So how you been, Freak? Not bad, not bad. I'm uh, putting together the pieces of my dead computer. On my I'm on my laptop. Sorry to hear about that. Yeah, it's okay. Here's here's what you you get out of it, and it's luckily it's a lesson I I've learned before, which is back up. <laughs> yeah. 
double backup, triple backup. I was lucky I was triple backed up because my two primary backups, um, I find out, are not compatible with Windows. They're, they're only Mac compatible, so I have to extract the stuff through a Mac computer off those hard drives. But luckily I had a third one that is Windows compatible just in that very case that happened. So I still had a lot of the um, core elements of Two True Freak podcasts and you know now I'm set up with all the tools I need. I, I got an editing program and my Skype recorder and everything I need. That's the, the great thing about podcasting is it's low overhead. <laughs> And basically, if you have a halfway decent laptop, you're you're ready to go. You know, at least at least my microphone didn't explode or something like that in the the ensuing chaos. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's been going good. Actually, this little laptop, seeing as how my other computer was so old, this is a little faster. So I've been having fun editing and stuff because everything's been a little bit smoother and and greasier just the way I like it <laughs> but other than that I'm I'm really ashamed to say I really don't have any Star Trek news this month not for the whole month nothing I haven't gotten anything Star Trek that well uh, I, I'll take that back a little bit although it's nothing I've done yet I did uh, I've been digging through my books and I finally found because you've been after me to read Star Trek The Return. Yes. But I, I wasn't going to read it till I read the book before it. And I just found, and I can't remember the name of that book. The Ashes of Eden. Ashes of Eden. And I just found Ashes of Eden. So now I have Ashes of Eden and The Return both pulled off my shelf and sitting right. next you, to each other. You, they look like quick reads. So You let me know when you're, when you're going to start working on them, and I will reread them, and we'll, we'll do shows about them, because I've been anxious to, to cover those for a mm -hmm. while. And it's funny, it's so funny that you mentioned that, because based on what we're going to talk about in a little while, when, when uh, I was done reading that, my first inclination was to go grab, there was a comic book adaptation of The Ashes of Eden, that I thought was really, really good. And I was tempted to go grab that and, and reread it. And then I kind of ran out of time before, uh, you know, it was time to sit down and do the show. But I, I plan to get to that in the next couple of days. But it's funny. I was just thinking about that today. Huh. And then you go and mention it. So that's that's really odd. Um, all I really had Trek related, because, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I haven't really get, done anything new or gotten anything new in the world of Trek. But something that... Uh, I have managed to do since uh, the last time you and I were talking Trek was uh, I finally got around to finishing the uh, Star Trek Omnibus Volume 2 from IDW. I talked about this ages ago. I started reading it and was really enjoying it and everything. And then for some reason, it just got buried under a stack of, you know, to read stuff that was on my nightstand. And I just never got around to finishing and I was doing some tidying up not long ago, and I came across it in there. I was like, you know, I was really digging this. I wonder why I didn't finish reading it. So I picked it back up and uh, and finished the book. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's a lot of fun. It's really enjoyable. But the, the stories, you know, they're largely forgettable. They're, they're your average, you know, comic book Star Trek stuff in the sense that, you know, as good or bad as they may be, um, you know, they're just they're they're largely just forgettable. You know, they're they're one-off adventures. However, 
that all kind of changes when you get to the twelfth issue, and suddenly the the story is it, it, it takes a quantum leap as far as the scope and the feel of the thing, where one of the characters acquires this object that essentially is uh, it's almost like a like a time portal type of thing, and it opens up and it zaps one of the main characters and when she kind of recovers from being zapped she realizes that she's been transported through time a good number of years and now so you've got somebody from pike's enterprise who's suddenly in the uh the tos movie era so you know they've all got the you know the red uniforms like from star trek 2 and she's been displaced in time and and because she disappeared it's almost sort of similar to like a like a wonderful life type of syndrome everything has changed because of her disappearance because she jumped forward in time and one of the first people that she ends up running across is james t kirk except in this history he actually um he replaced her on the enterprise serving under pike and he and Pike didn't get along, and through some incident in Kirk's past, he actually got drubbed out of Starfleet. So he never became Captain Kirk. He's now he's operating as a as like a civilian like freight hauler or something like that. And he gets you know, he knows who she is only because he's the person that actually replaced her on the job working for Pike. So he knows who she is and he realizes what's happened and everything. So then it becomes a story about him trying to return her to basically set history right. And it's a, a very big and, uh, and very bold story. And one of the coolest parts of it was uh, at the end of the second chapter, uh, Kirk ends up uh, facing off against um, General Chang from Star Trek VI. And except, you know, again, in this one, Kirk's not a starship uh, captain. He's just, you know, he's this freight hauler guy. He's about to be destroyed when all of a sudden the Enterprise comes sailing in and rescues them from the Klingons. And the view screen comes on and it's Spock and Savick and Uhura and all the guys that we know as the crew of the Enterprise, except in command is this gray haired Captain Pike wearing the red Starfleet uniform. And it's, it was really cause cool. like, Oh, this shit's getting good now. So then in the next chapter, uh, he beams them all aboard and Pike and Kirk just don't get along. They are constantly at odds with each other and it comes to actual blows at one point. And I just, I really got a kick out of this. I thought it was a really, really good story um, it ultimately plays out somewhat similar to the story we reviewed a while ago, that, that Star Trek 20th anniversary story where, uh -huh. you know, at the end of it, you know, because of the nature of time travel and all that, you know, things are set right and nobody really remembers and all that sort of thing. But it was a really good story. I, I got a kick out of it. And just based on that story alone, plus the ending of the story where Pike winds up in possession of the little time cube thing and gets a glimpse of what awaits him in his future. I liked it. I thought it was really solid and I would recommend picking this up. Cause I know you can get it on the cheap. I got mine, I think for like five bucks. 
So it's out there to be had on the cheap. I would recommend it just on the basis of that story. And what's funny is the common criticism I hear about this collection and about the series as a whole is that the series just abruptly ends with issue number 17 because the series got canceled right in the middle of a storyline. And that's the criticism I always hear is that, well, you know, who wants to get into something and then you're never going to get the rest of the story? You know, what happens? Because as a matter of fact, the, the last caption box in the last issue says next. And then it says, what happens will sadly be a mystery because this is the last issue. And I was like, well, that sucks. However, the last two issues, while they're good and everything, they're not, you know, they're coming off of that other storyline, the epic storyline, the big time travel story. The art had changed. It's not as good. And the story, you know, while it's not bad or anything, frankly, it just, it, it wasn't the same feel. So rather than feel like you're getting cheated from an incomplete story at the end, I almost look at it as really the end of this is the end of the time travel story and you're getting two bonus issues kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right, right. But again, the, the time travel story was excellent. It was so much fun. And you did get to see, you know, all your favorite characters back, you know, and it was a nice, um, it was a nice melding of the two different eras of Trek, you know, with, with Pike's uh, Enterprise and Pike's crew and the classic movie crew as we knew them, you know, from Star Trek II era. And I thought it was really nicely done in a way that, you know, I would have loved to have seen generations be pulled off this successfully. You know what I mean? It really did justice to both crews and to both captains to see the crews, uh, you know, intermingling and, and working together at, you know, to solve a common problem. It, it's, it's good, solid Trek. So, uh, again, highly recommended. That is uh, Star Trek Omnibus Volume 2 from IDW. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. It reprints the entire series of Star Trek, the early voyages from, uh, from Marvel from a few years back. And at some point, uh, I'd love to see if we could find the time to take a, a serious look at Star Trek by Marvel when Marvel got the license the second time. Because, you know, I, I did those retrospectives, God, ages ago. Yeah. You know, of the original 18 that, you know, had its extreme ups and extreme downs. But I never have really seen very much or read very much of when Marvel got the license the second time around. And I've heard both good and bad things, but they had several series because they had a... They had a Starfleet Academy series that I've heard good things about. They had this one. They had the early voyages. And then there was a couple of others. I want to say there was a Voyager, and I don't remember what the other one was. I think there were four books. all. Maybe it was DS9, I forget. But there were several different series they had. And uh, I've always been curious to check them out and just never really, never really made the time. But this one was solid. I, I enjoyed it very, very much. That's pretty much all I got. Well, then, <laughs> shall we move into the main event? Let's do that. Now, which which one do you consider the main event? Because I consider the I kind of consider the book that we'll be talking about the main event. But I wanted to save that for 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 afters. Oh, I always consider the, the, the episode. Yeah, that's where it all came from. Right. This is true. That's what it's all about. 
That comic will be here this month, but but the TV show will be back next month. You know what I'm saying? That's true. And the month after. <laughs> so I am going to read the synopsis out of the Nitpicker's Guide for Classic Trekkers by Phil Farron because I I like his synopses uh, better than uh, the ones out of the Star Trek compendium. They just they they were just eh, they were kind of letting me down. So. The episode for this time around, classic episode, The Deadly Years. Captain's log, stardate 3478.2. On a routine mission to resupply the experimental colony at Gamma Hydra 4, we discovered a most unusual phenomenon. Captain! I am 29. The latest. I am 27. You mean. Another 20,000, Captain? I fail to understand why each one of my commands is being questioned. Now, do as you're told, Mr. Sulu. I estimate that physically we each have less than a week to live. We will be little better than metal vegetables in a considerably lesser time. Ah! You stab me in the back the first chance you get? Get out. All right, this one originally aired December 8th, 1967. We weren't even born yet. Eh? <laughs> a landing party beams down to the scientific station on Gamma Hydra 4. In one of the buildings, Chekhov finds a dead man of extreme age. That reads really funny. Finds a dead man of extreme age. Well, I guess it works. It just sounds funny. Caught off guard, Chekhov bolts out the door, yelling for the captain. Which I think makes him come off in a very bad light in this episode. At least he doesn't scream like a little girl like he usually does. (laughs) I was sort of expecting that. (laughs) A quick inventory of the rest of the grounds proves that every scientist has died or will soon die of old age. Shortly after returning to the Enterprise, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scott begin aging rapidly as well. Soon Spock determines that the aging is caused by an unusual type of radiation. Unfortunately, none of the standard treatments work. Of course they don't. Frustrated, Commodore George Stalker forces Spock to rule Kirk unfit for command. Then Stalker takes over and orders Sulu to set a course straight for Starbase 10, even if it does take the ship through the neutral zone. He's a bright guy. Yeah, he's not too smart. And one uh, in no time, Romulans surround the ship and start pummeling it with their weapons. McCoy finally finds a cure, and a renewed Kirk quickly transmits a message to Starfleet. He intends to blow up the ship. Of course, the Romulans fall back to escape the blast, and when they do, Kirk rockets to safety at warp eight. And you know that's that's actually a pretty good uh, pretty good synopsis. It's fairly for this close, one. yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. So, what do you think of the Deadly Years? Oh, I've always liked this episode. The thing about it is, this episode is all about them getting old and seeing them get old, and everything else is just kind of filler in it, you know. Right. So the whole thing, this whole thing with Stalker, man, no, no Starfleet guy is that stupid. 
you know, <laughs> to just be like, quick, let's run out in the middle of the road, you know, it's, it, it but it's, it's just an element. And, and the fact that, that, you know, all the main officers of the ship are dying of old age and they're going to take the time when they're, you know, when they're aging by the minute to, to throw a, a, a hearing, you know, that's all that hearing is going to do is make them get a little bit older and slower and deafer and, and dumber. So yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's just there to add drama have to, to speak the whole up. thing. That's one of my favorite lines in this one. <laughs> I'm sure it You're is. You're gonna have to speak up. <laughs> so, so all that stuff, I was kind of like, "Come on, let's get get on with it." Although it was fun to see Kirk getting all crotchety at his at his hearing and forgetful, I, but I thought I had read somewhere or heard somewhere or something that Shatner used his own, e either his father or his grandfather, his, his own father or grandfather as a model for his behavior okay. as old crotchety Kirk in this one. I, I wonder if that's, you know, did I imagine that or is that really true? Well, I, here's I'd the thing they should have told Shatner is, is okay, they were aging, but as far as I could tell, none of them were losing his, their teeth. That's the reason why he was doing that. He was doing the old guy with his dentures out Gumi thing that Heshi right. <laughs> you know, like so, which actually did make him look seem older, and it made him seem a kind of senile. But he has all his teeth, so that it doesn't make that much sense. And and another thing about all that stuff is like, your hair doesn't turn white. It doesn't horror movies and stuff like that mm -hmm. but in real life you gotta grow some white hairs so really basically what probably should have happened is their hair should have just fallen out you know like right. pattern baldness instead of all their hair turning turning white or you, you know that I mean it looked great the makeup was was way ahead of its time and very, very well very well done but um, although they, I don't think they had some of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, we we're watching the retooled editions too, and the remastered, so you can see the rubberiness of the applications right. a little more now. See, I thought when it... McCoy's always looked good, mm -hmm. but some of the other ones would wax and wane. You know, I, I thought Kirk's. In, in parts it looked really good, in other parts it looked really bad. Scotty's initial old man look, because that, that, what do you call those when it's, it's not a cliffhanger ending, but you know, that dramatic ending as yes. they're going to a commercial. The one where he walks in as an old man and Kirk just goes, Scotty, that's actually one of my favorites of the entire series, because the dramatic music comes up and Scotty just looks, you know... It's just a great scene. Yeah, it looks like someone hit him in the face with a shovel. <laughs> but, you know, later in the episode, you know, his his makeup kind of looks really kind of wonky. But McCoy's, I thought, consistently through the entire episode, he actually did look like an old DeForest Kelly. I, I thought it was really well done. Because his was he's the, the only, only one that I bought. He's the only the one thing. who really, except for Takai, who didn't get old in this one. He's the only one who didn't get kind of fat and paunchy. 
So he sort That's of matched true, up yeah. with his with his old version. And uh, what's funny is is you got to see his old version there is just like the old version that was in Star Trek The Next Generation yes. too. So that was really yep. cool that he kept that acting part of his character consistent. Uh, well, Nimoy didn't really gain weight either. But they didn't really age Spock as much as they, they could have, you know. Right. But, um... What's funny is that's one of the things I looked up, you know, just just out of curiosity. Shatner and Doohan wish that they aged like they did in this show. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding, because, you know, Shatner's now considerably older than the age that they quote for him in this one. You know, the, the, the biological age of being artificially aged. They, I, they said he was between like 60, what, like 67 and 72 or something yeah, like that. And now he's like, you know, he's 80, he's 80 something. But I was curious, you know, how, how old were, uh, were Kelly and Dewan, uh when they passed away? And Kelly was 79. So, you know, he was up there and then Dewan was 85. Yeah. He when, was one uh, of the older members. I mean, he might've been the oldest yeah. member of the cast actually. Of the yeah. cast. I think he was. Which, you know, I guess that makes sense, you know, in the scene where he comes into Sick Bay, that he was the one that, that showed the signs first because he was the older one. Um Yeah, I mean I loved this one too when I was a kid. I you know, this was always one of those ones I had a soft spot for. A lot of it too was because Randy used to heavily quote and, and reenact this one, especially <laughs> yes. uh I, there's a scene that always makes me laugh only because Randy used to do it all the time. The part where Kirk, he's being challenged on the witness stand. He goes, ask me anything. <laughs> Randy used to do that all the friggin' time. And it used to crack me up because he does. He just has that little smart ass laugh to his voice. It's just great. Um, but uh, I love the look of the of the architecture and the buildings and stuff down in the colony at the very beginning of the episode. Yeah, you now know, wasn't it's... it strange? No, I'm pretty sure I watched a remastered edition because the planet was really nice and the spaceship was really nice. But was basically the planet still just like styrofoam rocks in an orange sky? Yep. Okay, so yeah, we and watched then they the same. Had, yeah, they had basically, they had like you know, 23rd century equivalents of, Quonset you know, rentish sheds yes. or something out in the back. It was, it was pretty weird, but it was cool too. Um, this is one of those episodes that, that skirts the line between really good, you know, well acted. It, it's, you know, the people are taking it seriously and, and approaching the subject matter seriously, but still somehow it just skirts that line of super cheesy. You know, and there, there's a lot of episodes in the series that that do that, that are on that razor's edge. And sometimes they end up falling one way, like Spock's brain. And then sometimes they end up falling the other way, like this episode. Yes. But this is another one that could almost, you know, it could go either way. Because there's there's a lot, especially the, the, uh, the initial opener to this, it's pretty cheesy and goofy. But still, I, I have a soft spot for it. Well, by um, now, I don't know why Chekhov should be that freaked out by a dead body at this yeah, point. He, yeah, he doesn't put in a good show in this one in, in the sense of, you know, he's supposed to, you know, granted he's, he's probably the youngest the person. Yeah. But still, I mean, he's supposed to be a trained, you know, professional Starfleet officer and all that sort of thing. And he, 
you know, he flips out over a dead. But I mean, it's all it's all part of the plot, and you know, it's all part of the the resolution. The, <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly. It kind of has to happen that way. Stalker really needs a comb. Yeah, it's got that '60s, you know, just messed up head, <laughs> where he just. You know, he needed a good hairdresser or a good barber. Well, he's or got something. that reefer madness guy who is going faster. Play the play it faster, faster. Play it faster <laughs> while like puffing on his <laughs> joint and with his crazed eyes. He's got that. He's got that greasy, greasy hair that older guys, the old lead actors had in those days. But it's all like, you know, fuzzed up from you know. He's got like bedhead and generally disheveled. <laughs> looked <laughs> and and you know he's supposed to be the guy who's like i i gotta have my shit together everybody else is going to hell in a handbasket and and he's already disheveled to start out with uh, i yeah that's the just one of the dumbest plot points ever is like all right everybody drive right through the neutral zone <laughs> well you know he was the guy that instigates the whole thing about court martial or not court marshalling but about you know Questioning having the hearing to, to remove Kirk because he's throwing the rule book at Spock you know well Mr. Spock you have to do this because regulation blah 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 and I'm thinking alright if this dude has read the rule book I'm pretty sure that they probably have it in bold type and underline three or four times don't go into the friggin neutral zone so what was that all about I mean again it's a plot contrivance to drive the story but it's one of those things that doesn't hold up under close examination that, you know, I don't care how green this guy is. That's something that you would think that's that just the plain stupid rookie would know, yeah. you know, that you don't do that, especially when Sulu points it out to him because he says, you know, well, I need you to, you know, cut across from A to B and Sulu's like through the neutral zone, you know, like, yeah, well, go ahead. You know, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. That that doesn't work. That's pretty silly. Well, when he was like, "I'm in command," because Scotty was knocked out. Why was it who whoever was under Scotty next in line? Sulu. Yeah, that yeah. was one of my big notes. Is that Sulu? I you know, if I remember, see, it, I'm always a little fuzzy when it comes to the classic series. I actually, you know, I, I feel like I know the movies a lot better than I know the the ins and outs and you know every detail of of the of the actual series, but. If I'm not mistaken, it was still, it was um, Kirk, Spock, then Scotty, and then Sulu, I'm pretty sure. So I'm not sure in this one why Sulu never speaks up or pipes up, other than... (laughs) What about me? He's the one who really wants a command, too. Right. Uh, The only thing I can think of is that I'm, I'm not sure what rank is Sulu in this series. Is he a lieutenant? I think so. A lieutenant or a lieutenant command? I'm not sure. So, you know, so, you know, obviously there's the captain, there's Kirk, and then you've got Spock, who's a commander, and then I think Scotty was a commander, too. See, I'm going to sound like an idiot to the people that really know this stuff. I've never been good with the ranks on this series. So maybe that's where it ends, is just with those three. And then even if Sulu is next in line because of the Commodore simply being a Commodore, maybe that makes him the default. I'm, I See, I'm not sure how that works. I think probably what it is, you're not supposed to stop and think about it. Yeah, there were lots of weird yeah. plot points like that. And that well, how about this? What When they 
first started aging incredibly, even when they first got off the planet with the people who were dying like that, should they have quarantined themselves? <laughs> They're running all around <laughs> the Enterprise. Good... They're running around. Oh the my bridge, God! Yes, hanging out you, you with know, everybody. You know, you are right. I never even stopped to think about that, and it's funny too they were because lucky it was uh... radiation instead of some sort of virus or something like that. You're right. And you know that you just reminded me of something I, I had meant to talk about, but I'll, I'll save it for another time. But I've been uh, ever since you and I um, and who was it that was with us? Chris Gallo. Yeah, Chris Gallo. And we talked about the uh, that Enterprise two parter, you know, with the Defiant right, and all that. Right. Um, that just stirred up such such emotion for me that I had to go back and start watching Enterprise again. But, you know, I started with season three. I didn't bother with the first two. So I've been re-watching Enterprise. And uh, I'll tell you, dude, you want to see some good good Star Trek. Oh, my God, season three of Enterprise is awesome. Anyway, I'm at a point now where there was an episode where uh, where a couple of the characters caught this, this disease and they were going to die. And pretty much the whole episode is a ship show. You know, what, what do they call this? A bottle show? Is that what they, they had a term for it. I forget what they call it, like a bottle show or something, where, where it all took place basically like on one set or, or one setting. And most of it happens in quarantine. So you would think that I would have thought about that of, oh, yeah, but it never even occurred to me. That's a great point that as soon as they knew that they were sick. I'm no doctor, know, or but- had yeah yeah it seems like a yeah. fatal disease it seems so uh you might not exactly. you might not want to spread it to the whole crew yep you're absolutely right well one of the things that always annoys me i mean it really annoys me in this episode but it annoys me in any episode like this one where you know they're supposedly up against the ticking clock you know something's gonna happen medically speaking you know the the crew's all dying of a disease or you know whatever you know we space madness or space herpes or whatever the hell's going on and they're up against the clock and then you get this downtime constantly where mccoy's got time to sit around and bullshit and talk about you know well we, you know, we're working as fast and as hard as we and it's like no dude if you're, you're standing sitting here around telling talking. Me about it, <laughs> you're not working as hard as and fast as you can you know no i don't buy that at all and one of the moments in this that makes me nuts is when he orders Miss Piggy. And I'm sorry, I know that's cruel, but that woman is fugly. Kirk, why are so many of Kirk's old flames ugly? Have you noticed that? Oh, I thought she was hot. She was just kind of. No, she was kind of had that Marilyn Monroe breathy voice. No, yeah, I, I like. She like you know, Ruth from from that. What is it? Uh, Shore leave. Who I thought she had Miss Piggy face too. And again, I'm sorry. I know that's really mean, but she does. She just reminds me of a human Miss Piggy. I'm sorry. Works anyway. for me, although she kind of had, she was kind of messed up. She was cute, but she was messed up. She definitely had her daddy complex. <laughs> yes. And Kirk called her right on it. He's just like, wasn't your husband yeah. like older than you? And she's like 26 years. He's like, aha. <laughs> so now I'm, Kirk's starting I'm, to look hot. <laughs> but. There's a part in there where where McCoy, you know, as McCoy's getting older and crotchier and everything, he tells her to, you know, go on, get out of here, go work on such and such, and you know, give me the readings or whatever he says, and she hot foots it out of sick bay, and like there's like five more minutes of dialogue with Kirk. Kirk leaves sick bay. She's standing in the hallway waiting for him. 
And I wanted so bad to Kirk to like boot her in the ass or something. Get like, to work. Don't, we'll talk don't later. Don't work. I'm dying here. Yeah, we'll make out, <laughs> we'll make out when I can actually get it up. Come on, lady. <laughs> Although it's Kirk, you know. I was I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, that that made me crazy. <laughs> but he's all he's all cool with it, you know. Kirk's just he's still macking on her, and I'm thinking, dude, minutes to live, minutes to live. Keep, you know, eyes on the prize here, you know. My favorite line from her is like, "You sent me a star card when my husband died." I thought they were space cards. <laughs> star card. Did he, to, did he go to space Hallmark? Is, is that like it? one of the earliest concepts of like an email? Maybe you know. Basically, it's that's what hey, it sounds she, like. I'll bet when she opened it up, it played the Star Trek theme with the lyrics too. The lounge version. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about your husband. Uh, if you ever need comfort. You there is a it. strange, strange scene in this episode where, you know what? The synopsis, now that I think about it, the synopsis did not mention the other member of the is landing party. the scene party. where Kirk it's... has no shirt on and his Urkel pants on? <laughs> no, that was disturbing. that was just uncomfortable. Um, but no, remember, there's another member of the landing party, and it's that the little girl. Oh, um, you mean Alfred E. Newman? Oh yeah, the one who actually fun. gets better looking when she starts aging. She turns actually <laughs> ages into B. Arthur, which is an improvement. Before that, she looks like like um, like a Manchichi. <laughs> well, they get back. <laughs> Manchichi, Manchichi, ooh, something curly. <laughs> they get back to the Enterprise, and there's this scene where she comes into sick bay, and she's like, you know, looking all embarrassed and everything. And she says to, to McCoy, she's like, "Well, Doctor, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing." And he's like, "Hey, it's it's weird because he just it's obvious that he's." It, you know, it's it's a tight close-up shot, and it looks like he's just reciting lines. Like there probably wasn't actually someone, someone there, there for yeah. the reaction, and so his lines are delivered in kind of a, a weird, almost a, a stilted fashion. Especially for DeForest Kelly, who I always thought was a really good actor, his delivery is just really strange. And then she, you know, she tells him the symptoms and everything. I'm thinking, all right, well, they just got up from the planet. There's, they already know that something weird's going on with the aging colonists and all that she's telling him this and he literally says to her oh i wouldn't worry about it you know it's nothing and he basically tries to just you know just slough it off and and send her on her way and i'm like what even though they just were dealing with two people with hearing loss and then there's <laughs> right. people trickling in with their rheumatiz and and their yeah so that's a very strange scene because you would have think you you would think that that would raise a big old red flag. Well, to maybe his brain, yeah, maybe his brain wasn't working <laughs> well enough yeah, to pick up. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a decent no prize, I guess. He's one of the older ones, so yeah. But that that was just an, I thought that was really odd. I like the part where Kirk's complaining about his shoulder. And I was thinking, oh, well, one too many shoulder yeah, rolls. That's what you get for being Mister Shoulder Roll, Mister Show Off. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's a real uh, there's a trade-off with these episodes now being in high definition and and really being able to pick up on just details that I think ultimately we were never meant to be able to see and and to really make out. Are you talking about the model rocket with the tin foil on it? Yeah. 
Yes, on the table. that's exactly where I was going. Yeah, what is that thing? It looked like some sort of super space dildo thing that they'd whipped up. Yeah, uh -huh. I saw it and I'm like, and then I'm waiting for them to do something with it, like to have sparks come off it or something. I'm like, it's a model rocket that they wrap tinfoil around, you know, or, you know, I, somebody. I thought it was inside it. It looked to me like one of those habit trails. Oh. Like a straight piece of habit trail with tinfoil stuff, like like balls of tinfoil inside well of it. Be. That I don't know. Well be. It was it, cheap, whatever it was. Yeah. It, I just looked at that and thought, what what is that supposed to be? And all I can think of is that it's. It reminds it was me of when people, look. when nerds get together and like reenact Star Trek episodes in the park and stuff and have to build their own sets, is what it reminded <laughs> me of. Yeah. All I can think of is that, you know, on a, on a crappy 60s television, you never would have been able to make out what it was. So just with the with the weird reflection and the, and the odd shapes of it and everything, it probably did look like some futuristic tool or something you know but but being able to see it makes it look like a first clear first grade a, art project yeah it does it it's bizarre i just saw that and i was like what what is that thing supposed to be and it is what it is it's a it's a giant beaker full of tinfoil it's yeah. just weird looking <laughs> and here's another thing i wondered how many times do you think spock has said in the course of star trek this might be a drinking game Oxygen, nitrogen, atmosphere. Ah, that would definitely be something you might want to do a shot off to. And, <laughs> and and another thing of Kirk being kind of a space little, little space racism and Kirk prickishness at, at the beginning, he tries to pawn the whole thing off on the Romulans. Did you notice that he's like, hey, you know, there's Romulans in this system. Maybe they're testing a new weapon on. You know, he's like, maybe we can blame this on the Romulans. You know, or or the Klingons or something. It's I'll tell you one thing that, that drove me crazy. Of course, I watched the um, the enhanced version of this. Did you see the enhanced one? Yes, I did. I thought the effects were awesome. There's not a whole lot of added effects, but I thought the effects that were there were really, really nice. But I don't remember this bugging me in the original print. Maybe I just never noticed it before or something. But in this version, it, it really stood out to me as glaring that the Enterprise is literally sitting in one spot, not returning fire, and just taking a hellacious pounding from, I think it's three, it's mm -hmm. at least three, Romulan birds of prey. Now, normally when this sort of thing happens, it'll take one or two hits, and then the next thing you know, the warp drive's conking out, and the shields are failing, and they can't return fire. In this one, they sit there, they just get blasted repeatedly, but when they're ready to go, hey, you know, push a button and they're honking it at warp eight. And I'm yeah. thinking, does that strike anybody else as a little bit well, odd? Well, they had because... two minutes to resolve that situation, you know, once Kirk hit the bridge. Right. So right. that's what that was all about. I called that scene, that's why he's the goddamn captain. Because I love that yep. scene. where he It's cheesy as hell. That, you know, five minutes ago, you know, he, his skin was all loose and baggy. He's nothing but a bag of bones. Then he his hair's all white and falling. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's fully restored. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I, I think you'd at least need a good meal and a full night's sleep to uh, recover from the wear and tear of your body aging 70 years or something. Right. But, exactly. But that is McKay a great gave, scene. McCoy gave him a shot of happy juice or something before he hit the bridge. I like 
and I never caught this before watching this again today. I love how Spock totally and successfully sloughs off the responsibility for maybe killing Kirk on Dr. Wallace. Because there's a point where, you know, McCoy and, and Spock and Kirk are having a little argument about, you know, this could be a beaker full of death kind of thing. And Kirk is like, do it, do it, give it to me, do it, do it now. And McCoy's like, yeah, go ahead, Spock, do it. So Spock, he hands yeah. the thing to Wallace and goes, here, go ahead and give him the shot. <laughs> and it's so subtle that you don't really catch it until you stop to think, wait a minute, he just did that because if she kills him, you know, he's off the hook. I, I thought that, yeah, very good, Mr. Spock. That was... Well, the nice thing work. is, I don't know, Wonder and, and Kirk finally says, you know, I'm going to die anyway. Why any of them were hemming and hawing about, like, I don't know, it could be very dangerous. Yeah, well, guess what? Ten minutes is very dangerous to you guys right now. <laughs> you know? So you, you guys are aging faster than dog ears. So tell you what, you know, the chances are... It, it, it might shave a whole five minutes off your life, you know, if you're, you know, worst case scenario. So I would have loved to see Spock have to sport some glasses in this one. That would have just made my day because he kept saying how his eyesight was failing. And then there's that one really cheesy montage scene where he's in, in like the sick bay lab. And uh, I think it's like chapel and somebody else are working away behind him. And he's sitting there hunched over like an old man, and he's squinting into the computer like he can he can barely see. I just wanted to see him have to put some glasses on. I would have loved that. It's not like you can't ask the computer to magnify it to, you know, double size <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I guess he didn't think of that. Um, and my PC does it, so I don't exactly. see why uh, their talking computer won't do it. I love... Hey, it's a talking computer. I should have just told him what... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the warp-out effect, though, when the Enterprise does leave the battle scene there, that's That's nice, cool. yeah. That looked really, really nice. Yeah, that the, 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 cool. the whole battle with the Romulans really wasn't jazzed up too much. It wasn't that exciting of a space battle. It wasn't really... I have to see the original version again, but it didn't... They didn't really... It was still a little clunky. So I don't know why I, I have a feeling maybe this one was er, one of the early ones they did or something because I noticed the the CG model of the Enterprise, wasn't quite as detailed as it as it gets later on. You know, as they as they got probably better computers when they were fixing it up. It was a little more, you could almost see the the, um, skin of it. You know what I mean? The the um, right the what what you call it. The, the the mesh you know wireframe of it right well, I, all I know about the the original print of this is that they didn't shoot any new effects for the battle it was all taken from stock footage from other episodes uh, like balance of terror and whatever there's another Romulan one too I can't remember which one it is now um Stalker has a stupid line toward the end of the episode where he says something about, you know, it's after Kirk reassumes command and they get away and everything. And then, you know, for some reason, Kirk doesn't just ball him out. He, he's actually very nice about the whole thing. You know, he doesn't, you know, of course, he doesn't haul off and well, hit him. Well, Kirk's kind of by the books, to. too, you know, so right. everything was done by the books. But Stalker says something stupid about, 
you know, I, I did my best to protect, you know, the, the save the men in the ship and everything. I'm thinking, no, you didn't. You didn't even return fire. He literally sat there going, what should I do? What should I do? He never does anything. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You did everything you could. The only thing he did was get him into trouble in the first place. Right. Exactly. Um, last note I've got for this one is uh, I love the end credits on this one. You know, they, they always had those uh, those snapshots from other episodes and stuff. Usually, uh, you know, they'd end with Baylock, and this one does end with Baylock. But there's a picture in here that uh, I, I knew that it was in there somewhere, but I didn't know what episode it was, and this was the episode. It was just a picture of a Tellarite. He's just standing there like it reminded me of those uh, some of the trading card shots that we got for Star Trek, the motion picture of the different aliens that you never really get a good look at in the movie. But these were like like production stills that made it to, to trading cards. There's one like that in the closing credits to this episode. And it's just a picture of a Tellarite standing in front of a, like a screen. It's like a, I think it's like a red colored screen or something like that. I thought that was really cool. I don't know what the story is behind that, but I always thought that was really neat. You know what I'm talking about? I I don't remember. So I was I don't think I was paying attention during those uh, during the pictures. So I'll have to go and uh, I'll have to go and check it out. It was actually pretty cool. You know, because the, the Tellarites, those are the the pig looking guys. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that like the one that that Spock's dad gets in a fight with in uh, in what is that Journey to Babel. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was pretty cool. My, well, that's pretty much. My only hmm? other note is this has a classic Kirk block in it. Kirk gets Kirk blocked, just as he's about to get some, the classic Uhura, Captain to the bridge. <laughs> oh, that girl just kind of, she just kind of shows up in this episode too. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Stalker there's an explanation given of what his deal is. You know, they're, they're taking him to Starbase, yeah. whatever, but what's her deal. She's just there conveniently because they need somebody that's a specialist in being a crotchety old bastard or something. And she, that just happens to be her field of specialty. Someone or something, with a specialty with a history in Kirk. Right. Yeah. Basically. Well, yeah, that's that's all I got. Um, that's, yeah. I think we should have a couple words from our sponsor. This is an exciting podcast. <laughs> all right, and then we'll come back with uh, with what you were saying is the meat of our show. All right, a comic book, <gasps> the first Star Trek comic book on Star Trek Monthly Monday in a while. Mm-hmm. Now's the time to get yourself Geritol. Geritol. I used to think I was too young for Geritol. Well, I'm not. And neither are you. Now's the time to get yourself Geritol. I start every morning with the Geritol tablet, so I'm sure I'm getting enough iron and the important vitamins I need. Geritol, America's number one iron and vitamin supplement. Don't wait for someday. Geritol is for now. Now's the time to get yourself Geritol. And take it every day. All right, we are back. 
with the first installment of some Star Trek comics. There's some DC comics, but we're we're not picking up where we're left off. We're doing a special uh, special uh, Star Trek comic, and and maybe I'll have Scott explain it since it was his idea to uh well, to do this. We 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 are and we aren't as far as picking up where we left off because. Um, you know, this is funny because we, we had a comment slash complaint a while ago. You know, why don't you guys ever cover Star Trek comics on Star Trek Monthly Monday? And it kind of took me aback when we had that comment because it's like, dude, we do cover the Star Trek comics on there. You know, where have you been kind of thing. But it occurred to us when we were talking about that, that it's been a while. I mean, we kind of stalled out there for a while. We just got busy and we were trying to shave some some time off the episodes and stuff. So we kind of had slacked off for a while, but when we were regularly covering uh, DC's Star Trek series, we were going, you know, in order of the, of the original uh, series, you know, the first series that DC did. And through our coverage, you know, as the movies would pop up, because, you know, that series is set in the movie era, as the movies would pop up, then we would discuss the movies as well. So where we got to in our coverage was the issues that led into Star Trek for the voyage home. And that's pretty much where we ended off with that. So even though this comic that we're about to discuss isn't part of that series, it was actually a, a, a special production. It still fits in there mm-hmm. because this story is set. Um, it, it's not really defined exactly when it is, but it's obvious that it's, it's right. It's after not, Star Trek not long 4. after Star Trek four. Yeah. Right. So that's that was kind of the reason I decided to cover this is that uh, we were about to resume our coverage of the regular series, which picks up, of course, right after the movie. And I got to thinking about this book and was like, you know, we've been requested by listeners to cover this and give our opinion of it. Now's the best time. So I decided to dig this out. What we're talking about is this was a graphic novel called Star Trek Debt of Honor. Uh, this was published back in uh, 1992 by DC Comics. So this came out uh, right around the same time as um, Star Trek VI, I believe, because that was, what, in 91, I believe. That came out Something for the 25th like that, anniversary. Yeah. So, yeah, this was in conjunction sort of loosely with the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, which is wild to think about because, you know, here in a, in a little while, it, it will have been 25 years since the 25th anniversary and doesn't that blow your mind anyway uh original cover price at least on the edition i have i have the the soft cover which i thought it was all there was apparently there is a hardcover edition to this as well i've never seen it so i don't know what the price or, or the format of or anything is of that i have the uh i guess what you would call like this the paperback version you know the uh I call it a graphic novel. I don't know if it's considered a trade, trade paperback, version, whatever, yeah. but it's yeah, it's the trade version. Uh, it was originally fourteen ninety five. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was written by Chris Claremont of uh, Uncanny X Men fame. Art by Adam Hughes and Carl Story. And I kicked myself because Carl Story was at MegaCon last year, and I could have had him sign the thing. Damn it! But I. For some reason, it just didn't click with me that uh, you know he had worked on this book. Um, colorist on this was Tom J. McCraw, which I don't recognize that name. And the letter was Robert M. Uh, Panaha, again, a name I don't really recognize. 
So as we start off the story, this uh, we've got Captain Kirk, and he's uh, haunted by nightmares, and he spends a little time at sea with his newfound gal pal, Jillian Taylor. Now, she's the girl that he brought with him from the 20th century at the tail end of Star Trek for the voyage home. So right away, we know roughly, <clears throat> excuse me, when this story is set. So as Kirk and Jillian uh, express their concern for each other, now Jillian's concern is uh, for Kirk's guilt over both the death of his son, David Marcus, in Star Trek III, and the destruction of the original USS Enterprise that he himself ordered the destruction of. Kirk's concern is for Jillian because of her time displacement. You know, she's basically got to get used to a, a whole new world. So we're treated to the first of several flashbacks in this tale. And the first one, we go all the way back to Kirk's early days as a lieutenant aboard the USS Farragut. And this part of the story takes place just after the death of Captain Garavik. And uh, for more on that, see, uh, there's a classic episode called Obsession that explains this whole backstory with, uh, with Kirk, you know, young Kirk and Captain Garavik and that whole thing. Tasked with getting the Farragut back up and running again, uh, Kirk gets to spend some quality time with a passenger by the name of Tassel. And she's this really pretty uh, young Vulcan woman, and she's an engineer and she volunteers to assist him with the repairs to the ship. And the two of them, they make quick friends, and you know it's obvious they have kind of an instant attraction to one another. And so young Kirk, you know, he's, he's just kind of starting to get it on with her when the Farragut is attacked by these mysterious creatures, and Kirk dubs them critters, which that was cringeworthy to me. The critters, to me is kind of like a hillbilly word. You know, I just not something I imagine Kirk saying, you know, it's I, a I don't cheesy eighties movie too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're kind of cheesy aliens They're set. Of, there's some sort of cross between like Ridley Scott's alien, um, a cockroach and a piranha fish. And, uh, they're resistant to phaser fire. And they set about immediately just slaughtering the crew of the Farragut. Kirk and Tassel make their way into the bowels of the ship where they uh, they set off the explosive bolts that separates the saucer section of the ship and basically Kirk saves everybody that was left alive to be saved. But he himself is severely injured doing this and so he's rescued by Tassel and she basically sacrifices her life to make sure that Kirk gets away to safety and he's left with this lingering mental connection to her that just lets him know in, in kind of a vague undefined way that she's still alive out there somewhere. So eventually he mends and he tries to convince his superiors in Starfleet of this unknown alien menace that's out there and that destroyed the Farragut, but without any empirical, empirical evidence at all to go on, they just kind of hush the whole thing up and, and, you know, they forget about it. Except, of course, for Kirk. He can't forget. So back on the boat in the, in the present part of the story, 
Savick shows up to collect Captain Kirk, and uh, he leaves Jillian in the care of this uh, anthropologist friend of his who just happens to specialize in things about the 20th century. And Savick and Kirk take off for an undisclosed mission. Meanwhile, in space dock aboard the shiny new USS Enterprise A, uh, the crew, it seems, is up to some undisclosed mischief of their own. And we get this uh, nice little brief scene with Uhura in which we learn that uh, one of our old friends from this series, Janice Rand, she's been kind of abusing her power as staff secretary to the chief of Starfleet personnel to rearrange and, uh, and very sneakily reassign key personnel to the new Enterprise, the purposes of which we as the reader aren't privy to just yet. We get another flashback this time to just moments after the end of the classic episode, the Doomsday Machine, where the Enterprise receives and responds to a distress call from the Romulans. And Kirk and his crew board a, uh, a battered bird of prey and discover more of those critters from the earlier flashback. And so Kirk and company, they beat back the aliens, and Kirk learns that the Romulan sub-commander of the ship is none other than his old crush, Tassel. And it turns out that she's half Romulan and she's decided to embrace that side of her nature and, and basically forfeit her Vulcan heritage. But she's still friendly and got the hots for Kirk. Of course, it's Kirk. So back in the present, the Enterprise is ordered to uh, moor itself to a space buoy on the far side of the moon. And I got to admit, uh, this I didn't really understand the logic of, of this. I, I didn't understand the purpose and what exactly was going on here. But anyway, they go there to the space buoy. And when they're there, Spock and Sulu and the others, they drop off this sort of uh, artificial in, artificially intelligent drone thing that was whipped up for them by Dr. Daystrom. And that will basically fake both their their presence and basically it will speak for them if anybody rings them up on the space telephone. It, it's it's basically going to fake that they're there at the buoy when they're actually taken off to go do something else. We don't know what yet. Flashback again to just after the V'ger incident from Star Trek The Motion Picture and another encounter with Tassel. This time... Uh, they discover a brand new breed of Klingon battleship, essentially a Klingon Death Star. And it's been attacked and the crew has been slaughtered by the critters. And here at last is the hard proof that Kirk would need to prove to his superiors the existence of these space bedbugs, but he can't use it because if he does, if he presents this to Starfleet, it'll mean war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. So Kirk and Tassel, they agree to just keep it to themselves and hush the whole thing up to prevent, you know, interstellar conflict. So in the present, Kirk and Savick arrive by shuttlecraft at prearranged uh, coordinates to await a rendezvous with somebody. We don't know who yet. But the first guests to actually arrive are not who Kirk was expecting. It's the Enterprise. And apparently, having escaped being drubbed out of the service in, dis in disgrace and possibly facing some hard prison time through dumb luck and circumstance in Star Trek IV for their actions in Star Trek III, has taught Kirk's command crew nothing because they know what he's up to, that he's going to go after the space critters 
and they're once again perfectly willing to throw their uh, careers away just because they love Kirk so I learned much, it from you, know, you okay? <laughs> but the cool thing is, this time, they brought along some old friends with them. So rounding out the skeleton crew for this episode, we get Jamie Finney, who was Ben Finney's daughter from Court Martial. We get Garavik, who I, that's all I can... I can't remember his his whole name, but it's Garavik, and he's the son of Captain Garavik, the the dead captain from the Farragut from the classic episode Obsession. We get Kevin Riley, who was in The Naked Time. He's the one that that locks himself in engineer and sings uh, what the hell is the name of that song? Well, anyway, more, more time, yeah. And he was also poisoned in Conscience of the King. I think that's the last time we ever saw him. Uh, we get Kyle, who was the transporter guy from the original series, and uh, he was also serving aboard the Reliant in Star Trek II. We get Styles, who was the racist asshole that Spock had to save and balance a terror. We get Carolyn Palamis, who was the girl that uh, Apollo was macking on and who mourns for Adonis. And we get Mira Romaine, who I have to confess but it turns out she's actually from the lights of Zaytar, which I always thought was one of the shittiest episodes of the entire series. But you know what? I'm really proud of myself because that's the only one that I missed. The other ones I, I actually knew off the top of my head. So, you know, I get big, uh, I give myself geek points for that one. Anyway, there really isn't much time for happy reunions because uh, then a yellow alert sounds and Kirk goes to the bridge and he takes charge as this Klingon battlecruiser enters the area. But it turns out that uh, they were expected. Kirk's old adversary and the original Klingon captain, the very first Klingon we ever saw in Star Trek, Kor shows up and he's commanding this ship. And essentially, the crunchy Klingons have taken over the Empire and the smooth Klingons like Kor are now out of favor and they've been relegated to the ass end of nowhere. So that's about all I gathered from that part of the story. But to be honest, I didn't really get a feel for exactly what Kor's deal was in this story, but it had something to do with regaining his honor and yada yada the Klingon Empire. And I was like, you know, I don't care. Just give me more story. So then to sell shows up and her uh, Romulan bird of prey. And we've got this three-way alliance formed between the Klingons, the Romulans and, and Kirk, which I thought it's actually pretty cool. So, Kor requests the honor of being bait for the space herpes while uh, Enterprise links up with the Bird of Prey so that the two ships can, can share power and share the Romulan's cloaking device. And so conveniently, the bugs wait until everybody is ready before they launch their attack on the Klingons. And Enterprise, invisible to the aliens thanks to this cloaking device, uh, they beam out as many of the folks on the Klingon cruiser as possible when, when, the, when the attack starts, but a good number of the people get left behind, including Kor himself, Chekhov, and Chapel. Jamie Finney, um, she was made honorary first officer on the Klingon ship by Kor. She gets beamed back to Enterprise, and she's pissed, so she forces Scotty to beam her back in an attempt to try to save the crap Truman, or, you know, trapped crewmen that are still aboard the Klingon ship. So as soon as that's done, the transporter lock is lost, and the only option Kirk's got left at this point is that he can either decloak, which would mean exposing the Enterprise to the aliens, or 
they can remain hidden and he's going to have to sacrifice his friends and allies. And reluctantly, he's forced to choose the latter, much to McCoy's chagrin. So Kirk's rationale in all this is made apparent shortly when he hands Scotty the plans to that Klingon Death Star, basically tells him, get to work, I want you to build one of these. So operating under Cloak, um, the plan is to build this space gun and blast these little bastards to bits, but they're going to need time to do it, hence they have to remain cloaked. And an enormous blobby ship thing shows up, and it looks like basically a giant ball of snot, and it starts to consume the Klingon ship. So Kirk and some of the men and women from all three of the crews, they take a shuttle out for a closer look, figuring that they're basically too small to be noticed because this thing is ginormous. And as they're out flying around, they happen to spot survivors inside the Klingon cruiser. They, they see them through the window in the middle of a phaser fight. They're still alive. They're still fighting for their lives. So Kirk basically orders the shuttlecraft to ram into the cruiser and punch its way inside just the same way as the uh, the bug creatures. They, they travel by these pods that actually punch through the hull of a ship and then deploy the, the bug soldiers inside the ship. Kirk basically uses the shuttlecraft to do the same thing. So once they're inside, you know, Kirk rescues the remaining people. He orders them all the, you know, to all go back to the Enterprise. He leads a landing party into the heart of this blob thing. And while they're there, they discover uh, cocooned people. And there's humans and Klingons and Romulans and Gorns and all these other races. Kind of, you know, think alien, basically. And they're being altered by the critters, by the ship. And one of the cocoons opens and spits out this woman, uh, Diane Morwood, who Kirk knew um, from his days aboard the Farragut. And he thought she was dead. He, he thought she was lost with the Farragut. But she's been here all this time, and she's been transformed into this, this weird crossbreed alien thing by the little bug guys. But she's fighting the programming, you know, the, the reprogramming of her of her mind and personality and stuff. She fights it long enough to warn Kirk and the others to get away. So back on their respective ships, um, the Enterprise crew prepares to detonate the completed space gun and it's going to blast the blob ship. And it's also going to destroy the Klingon cruiser and trigger an, a matter antimatter reaction that they believe will seal the rift that these aliens have been using to travel to our galaxy. Unfortunately, before the weapon can be deployed, the blob ship reaches out with these tentacles and tries to grab the Enterprise. So to sell, you know, she she you know says a farewell to Kirk over the view screen and all that, and uh, she uses her own ship to run interference, giving Enterprise time to both simultaneously fire the space gun, but also to warp out of the region. And the resultant explosion, you know, it does the job. It blows up the ship. It seals the rift and everything. Just as Enterprise is warping out, it outruns the shockwaves, a lot like uh, the end of Star Trek II. So Tassel's daughter uh, is left in Kirk's care, and she decides to explore the Vulcan portion of her heritage, so kind of a flip-flop from Tassel's decision. And Jamie Finney, 
she decides to take Kor up on his uh, offers to to be his first officer for real. So basically, a, a, an officer exchange kind of thing. She, you know, a, a human woman is going to serve as a, as a first officer on this in this Klingon ship. Um, back on Earth, basically all's well that ends well as uh, Kirk returns to Jillian and the boat at sea, just in time for them to witness Gracie the Humpback give birth to the first great whale born on earth in over 300 years and as the sun sets the two of them uh, they toast the occasion of new life possibly the start of a new civilization and boldly going where no man has gone before and that is star trek dead of honor what did you and think then of Kirk this goes somewhere where a few men have probably gone before and maybe <laughs> he's gone before too i liked it a lot it was um I haven't read Chris Chris Claremont's story in a long time and I'd forgotten um I'd forgotten about Chris Claremont and it was instantly recognizable as his style, you know, his storytelling oh, yes. style. Yep, you can certainly tell that this is a Chris mm-hmm. Claremont story. And I and I say that jokingly because I really enjoy Chris Claremont, but uh boy can write, you know, as far as put words on a page because this was not a, you know, you, you get so used to, or at least I have gotten so used to the way modern comics are written that I'm used to being able to take them to the can and, and you're you done know, with read it. sitting. Yeah. It, whereas this one, I mean, you got to set some time aside for this story. Cause I mean, you know, that, that synopsis. Yeah. For as long, how long was that? That was probably twenty uh, well, minutes. Before and we started, I'm like, brief... it's going to take twenty minutes to do a synopsis of this. This, yep. You just can't, you know. And I excised as mm-hmm. much as I possibly could to still give you basically the story, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is a meaty read. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot it's, of characters. It's a 96 page graphic novel. That's pretty. Uh, yep. And and not really. I think. Not really many, like, you know, just two-page splash spreads and stuff like that. It's it's hardcore. There's a lot of dialogue and exposition. Mm-hmm. Well, hell, even the the splash that we do get of, of Enterprise in the space dock, look at all <laughs> the dialogue. all around it, yeah, floating all through space. Yep. It, but yeah. the thing about it is Chris Claremont's, he does, that could be really cheesy and... Just for example, let's go way back to Saga the Swamp Thing before Alan Moore took over, and mm-hmm. uh, where where it was the same sort of verbosity, but it was not as as entertaining as Chris Claremont. Chris Chris Claremont really like knew how to make an engaging story. You know, he he, he oh, was yes. really good at taking a instead of. Which, you know, I have a love and hate thing with, you know, paying tribute, bringing up old characters and paying tribute to past episodes. But he does it in a way that that adds drama to it and adds some quirks to some Kirk quirks that that are actually very interesting wrinkles and very, very um, interesting and complicated. So, you know. In, whereas it could have been very cheesy, you know, but I really liked mm-hmm. how he took all those 
you know, at first you're sort of like, okay, is this Kirk just sort of going back over all the points where, you know, somebody had to sacrifice their life or something, you know, and the toll that's taken on him. And then you started saying, no, it had the, um, 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 what was it? T cell to sell. Mm-hmm. Had, when, when that started being the thread running through it, I'm like, Oh, okay. I see what's happening. And it was neat that she, she, she sort of shows up at, you know, key moments in Kirk's life when he's having a key moment, right. there she is. So that was a neat character. And it made me for the first thing I thought, like after the second time she showed up, I'm like, Oh, she's so dead. <laughs> By the end of this, she's dead. You know that's how that that's how this story would go. But they didn't kill her. They they put her far. They just did a um, Voyager on her. Was it Voyager? It right. Basically. Yeah. And uh, were the Borg around yet? I know the ne- the next generation was out because they made a nice little reference to it in here. You know, a sort yeah. of sly little reference to it. But uh, yeah, by 90, by 92, they would have been. And in a lot of ways, this this story is almost Borg meet aliens. Yeah. Yeah. This is almost Kirk's Borg story in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because they're they're sort of doing the same sort of thing. And then they've got uh, but they're just a little more biological than the Borg are. But they're Mm -hmm. still doing the same thing, collecting and taking them apart and and. And then absorbing them into their and coming, you know, coming from out of the deep reaches of space. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Holy, I, I, I started last night and like, I'll just dash off this this graphic novel now and start reading it. And I started reading it. I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to, you know, finish this tomorrow. And like today I sat down and I sat down for a good hour, you know to, to mm-hmm. polish this thing off and uh yeah it's 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 chock full of story it's it was kind of creeping me out that to, to sell and kirk romance at the beginning when we thought she was a vulcan i was like Does kirk have right. a case of vulcan fever because you're sort of because i'm like okay you're sort of maybe seeing the origins of why he and Spock got along so well and worked together so well. Cause it's right. like, let's put Kirk with the Vulcan. And it was obvious that at that point, Vulcans were looked down a little, you know, cockeyed and Kirk, you know, took to it and, and even started, and I'm like, man, Kirk's getting a Vulcan to make out with him, you know, the hell man. <laughs> and then I'm He's thinking the that makes his whole relationship with Spock, maybe a little creepy, you know? because it was it was sort of a parallel of him and Spock except for the making out part unless you're going into fanfic territory which we really should stay away from <laughs> was the was the fact that she wasn't fully Vulcan was that apparent I mean did you get that from this well, or soon- was it a shock to you when she turned up as the 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 sub commander of the of the Romulan well, ship Well it's a comic book and we didn't see her body So and when they were like you know it looked like she was picked up by the Romulans or going to get picked up by the Romulans I sort of figured I didn't I didn't I sort of figured she'd probably either be turn out to be Romulan or half Romulan 
because a she was definitely showing emotions because she was the one who was making the moves on Kirk when it came down to right. it, and and it would make sense because okay she got picked up by the Romulans and everybody knows that that Romulans and Klingon or Romulans and Vulcans are very close genetically and and they're also compatible they can mate so it made sense you know and since i figured since we didn't see her die like sacrificing herself for kirk that that was probably what happened that she probably got became a romulan but i figured they would probably meet in war in a more war like circumstance but i like that chris claremont took a more mature approach with it and she does she she doesn't give a shit she's like kirk all right i'll, I'll work with kirk you know even though she's a romulan she didn't like she hasn't been like well i have to renounce you because you're a human now you know and i like right. that 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 she's she's eminently it's it this is a weird weird one because there isn't any of the stuff that they usually felt they had to go through with everybody fighting and bickering before they had to get along and solve a problem. In this, they'd already decided to solve the problem. So when you had the, you, it was just, it was more realistic to see them more pragmatically working together. Right. And uh, just the whole theme of, of honor and, well, you've got debt, debt and honor in the title <clears throat> and, and responsibility and respect that sort of runs through all the storylines and all the characters in this. It's really well done. You know, everybody's everybody's motivation in here is, you know, every that that a major storyline hinges on. Everybody's motivation stems from somebody, you know, doing something for them, saving them, you know, mostly saving their ass. You know, it's mostly about like how everybody when you save somebody's ass you get your ass saved down the line you know right and and it eventually gets to a point where all that ass saving leads to a bunch of enemies saving the universe together in their mutual interest very star trek story which uh is rare enough in star trek <laughs> it's in in the world of Star Trek in general, I would say right. there's probably more Star Trek stories that aren't Star Trek stories, and there are Star Trek stories that are by this point in time. <laughs> and this one definitely is. This one's got a, it's it's got a lot of twisting. The the whole twisting and turning of like how do they get the Enterprise without anybody knowing and out without any trouble, is is a little contrived. But I like further on in the story where they sort of say where Kirk sort of says I don't he doesn't say it flat out, but he sort of does it very lawyerly. He basically spells out that, hey, you know, maybe Starfleet was behind all of this, you know, maybe, you know, all this happening like this. Yeah, you know, it's happening on the sly because it's unpredictable Captain Kirk. So that way, if he gets caught, it's all his fault, you know. But he's still, you know, there's there's the intimation that, well, Starfleet's definitely involved with Kirk. You know, the Enterprise was sort of a, um, you know, a wild card thrown in there. 
But yeah, I I, I was kind of pissed that Kirk got pissed at Uhura for actually learning lessons from him. You right. Because that's totally what I learned it from you. You know, he should have he should have been more, you know. I, I he was definitely like a stressed Kirk because I would picture Kirk being more having that bemused like, well, all right, well we'll all go down together then. You know, let's have a nice little laugh over this, but he's a little high strung in this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. It looked like it was a lot of fun for the artists to draw everybody in their different time periods and outfits and weights and. Oh, I think they did a spectacular job of of capturing the look and feel of Trek, which yes. you know we know from hard experience at this point. We haven't seen a whole lot of in the comics. I, I, could I mean, the, the page, regular... but there's some things in this that are just there's like, it's just little things. There's one of Scotty looking up with a look on his face. That's mm-hmm. like one of the most perfect, you know, um, Duhan James Duhan looks ever, like in in the comic stuff. And you very, you know, people are pretty good at getting Kirk and Spock and McCoy right. And, and and less so Sulu and Chekhov, but Scotty often ends up looking really weird in Star Trek comics, and they got him down in this. The only thing art-wise that I d- really didn't, and I didn't really not like it, but I could have done without it, was uh, the cover. Um, not that it's bad art, it's good, it's got a little bit of that airbrushy look yeah. to it, but it reminds me of like a module to like the role-playing game or something, you know, that's what it like to yeah. me, it's it's nice photographic style um, art of you know Shatner. Shatner looks great, and uh, the two other characters, you can tell that they're made up characters because they're not as detailed as Shatner's face, and they're also one fifth the size. But the Enterprise looks nice. But it does. It looks like you know, it looks like Dead of Honor Module Five, you know, of the playing <laughs> game. But that's just a cover. Who cares? You know, once we, once we get into the issue as it is, oh, it's just well, it's just looks great. Well, what really impresses me is that you know not only do they capture the look of the characters as far as just you know what the actors look like, but you've got their body language mm-hmm. down. You know, in, in this, you can really see this being oh, Shatner especially. You know, yeah, Shatner especially. Like when yeah. he's hanging out in the boat, he's hanging out and he's just thinking to himself. It's got that like stage actorness that that Shatner had, you know, that staginess where he's like, "Hmm, I'm thinking, I'm pensive," but that's exactly how Shatner would do it, you know. It's great. I love the the outfits that Kirk's got, especially the the civilian outfit that he wears on the boat and everything. It's very Star Trek the motion picture. It looks a lot like... Well, he's built like um, Star Trek the motion picture there. That's it. Yeah. He should have a few more pounds on him. I think... That, uh, yeah, he were, should, yeah. I think maybe Shatner came over to the artist's house with a gun and was, like, drunk and, like... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, But, I mean, the, the world of Star Trek... You know, because we we've seen this in the regular series, and granted, that's that's a monthly production, so you don't have the time to to lavish it as much as something like this. 
But that's the thing. That's the biggest criticism I always have with the regular monthly is that you get that trade off. Either the ships and things look really good, and maybe the the backgrounds and the actors suffer, or you know the the characters look good, but then nothing else in the world, you know, looks and feels like Trek. Here you've got both. You know, you've got the body language and the and the face. You know, the faces of the characters down. But what I was most impressed with is this is a story that spans all of Kirk's life. And every sequence feels true to when it's taking place. If it's classic, you know, classic era Trek, then everything in it, you know, from the ships to the uniforms to the world around them, you know, including the, the desks and the doorways and everything looks like the series. If it's taking place, you know, movie era, then it looks like the movie era. And that's not an easy thing to pull off because even in the movie era, there's little distinctions between the right, movies. Right. And man, he's I mean, th- these guys really nailed it. I-, I was very impressed with that, that you can just, you know, if, if you couldn't read you could still follow at least the you know the visual part of the story and know oh okay this takes place around the time of star trek the motion picture because of this you know and then you look at artwork and other sequences and go oh okay this is you know movie era you know enterprise and you know i, I just i really like that i mean very very well researched and uh, and it really pulls you into the story in such a way that I think because of the, the dynamic visuals in this, it really helps keep the story flowing and, and helping you, you know, like a good Star Trek story should do. It helps you to kind of breeze right past some of the shortcomings of maybe some of the logic of the story, because it wasn't really until I had to write the synopsis that some things jumped out at me, like um, the buoy and most especially core when i got to the part with core it suddenly hit me that you know they really never explain what the hell's core doing there i you know unless i missed something in the story that was the part of it that that i don't feel was ever He's really sort of there, yeah. explained yeah he just kind of shows up and not only is his motivation never really explained but he treats kirk like like hey, an buddy. old colleague yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they really were not, you know, they, they really were not friends or colleagues or I, I never even got the, the feeling that they particularly liked or respected each other. So it's almost like there's a, a missing chapter in between with those two characters where, you know, they came to some sort of understanding or something. But I can overlook that, though, because, um, you know, many, many, many years later, that actor whose name is escaping me, is it something Colicos or something? Isn't that his name? I can't remember. But anyway, um, he came back to Star Trek on DS9 playing Captain Core. And there was a great, uh, you know, bit where he was talking about, you know, basically the good old days when, you know, he went up against Kirk and it was, he did have, respect and even a a level of of liking and and admiration for kirk and i I like that sort of thing and i actually come to think of it that ties in 
you know, DS9 ties in a little bit with this in the other aspect of uh, there was a part where I always got the feeling like the people behind DS9 finally started to listen to the, the, the viewers and they finally got the crew off that stupid space station and gave them a spaceship to fly around in. And the spaceship, eventually they gave it a cloaking device. Well, it turned out that the cloaking device was borrowed from the Romulans, but the Romulans didn't want to just outright give it to the Federation. So they actually had a Romulan officer stationed aboard the ship for the purposes of basically operating the cloak personally so that there was one installed, but it wasn't Starfleet that was running and operating it. It was this special liaison, basically, who kept the secrets, but let them use the technology. And I like that. It kind of ties in a little bit with this, because there's a part where Scotty's grousing about having to let the Romulans, you know, muck about in his engine room to install the cloaking device because they didn't want to just hand it over. I thought that was pretty cool. It, it ties in nicely. I don't know, you know, if there's, there was any correlation in the in the writing of, you know, DS9 all those years later, if they acknowledged this or looked back at this or got the idea from this or anything. But, you know, still there's that that sort of correlation, which I think is I think that's neat. I like when that sort of thing happens. Um, I did have some specific notes about this one. Um. It got me to think right at the beginning of the story. I really like the bits, both in the, the beginning of the story and especially the end of the story with Jillian. Um, I like the fact that, you know, she wasn't just sloughed off um, like she would be in the movies. You know, we never heard from her again or anything. I like in this that, you know, she became friends with Kirk. And it made me got, you know, it made me think. I wonder if out there in uh, in the expanded you know world of star trek and the novels and the comics and everything i wonder if there was ever if we ever got jillian's reaction to kirk's death or you know at least what you know the people of the time perceived as kirk's death when he was lost on the enterprise b because i can remember there that there have been different stories that have given the reactions of, you know, Kirk's friends and crewmates and stuff, you know, Spock and McCoy and all that. But I don't really remember it going much beyond them. You know, so I'm very curious, you know, how would she feel? Because in this story, she's kind of, you know, he's kind of her, her touch tone in this world. You know, she, she comments on how basically he's the only person she knows really. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, this might as well be an alien planet for all it really, you know, resembles the Earth that she knew back in the 20th century. And so Kirk is that, you know, is that touchstone for her. So if he's suddenly dead, you know, how does she take that? You know, to, you know where does she turn and that sort of thing? So I, I would have liked to have gotten that reaction to, you know, this is one of those things I thought of while I was reading the story. I tell you what, this this starch, I think this one can really spoil you on Trek comics. Cause I enjoyed the hell out of this. I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it. So I'm glad that it, it held up. But I remember when this was new, when I, when I first read it, I remember thinking, man, you know, I wish the regular star Trek comics were half this good. You know, I, I never would have stopped collecting the series. 
Well, I mean, this is the difference between a TV show and a movie. That uh, this has this is time, more time, more effort, and a better writer applied to it. Right. You know, everything's right. been upgraded, and it they don't have to come out with it one every month. You know, they can do it, do the research uh, and make it all detailed and treat it like a movie. You know, and it shows. Right. And it reads like that. You know, it re- that that's why it's in the. It's in the graphic novel format, so everything has to be jazzed up and and higher quality, theoretically. In this case, it worked out that way. <laughs> doesn't always work right. out that way in graphic novels, but this case, it, it definitely did. This has a, this could definitely, this could definitely have been a very good Star Trek movie. Oh yes, and and it could have been really fun with all the flashbacks and stuff, you know. They could have applied um, Forrest Gump technology, yeah. as they have in the future on the TV shows. So yeah, this could have, this could have been like one of the better Star Trek movies of all time. <laughs> Actually, this this could have been a really good Star. You know, you know me. I mean, I I actually like Star Trek Five, but I will acknowledge you know the severe shortcomings of that story. But it's funny, I was just going to say, it's too bad that this couldn't have been Star Trek V. And it's funny that there's actually a big parallel between this and Star Trek V. Because remember, one of the plot elements in that was that planet of, uh, oh, whatever the hell they called it there. The planet of eternal peace or whatever. the I can't remember what they called it. But it was the planet where the, the humans, the Romulans, and the Klingons had all colonized the mm-hmm. planet together. Mm-hmm. You know, in an attempt to to foster unity or whatever, and that's kind of you know kind of the same thing here. Although the, you know they all come together under their mutual you know love of Kirk or whatever, but it's kind of the same thing. Debts and respect, galactic peace. That was it. The planet of the of galactic peace. That's what they called it. But um, what a boring name. You know, yeah, I know. Well, you had commented on how Core himself actually uses the words "the next generation" in this as kind of an acknowledgement of you know of that series and and passing mm-hmm. the baton and all that. But I wondered, did you catch on page ninety one when Kirk pops the cork on the uh, on the bubbly yes. that they're going to have here? He actually says Chateau Picard, which is you know that's what Picard's people do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're winemakers and stuff. I thought that was a nice little touch. I thought that was pretty cool. But the art, I mean, I could go on all day about the art. You know, I, I'm not the biggest Adam Hughes fan in the world, but when he's on, he's really on. And there are some beautiful shots in here, especially I really like the Enterprise because I'm very, very picky about my Enterprise in Star Trek yeah, comics. It's, and it's, I'll it's, be honest... It's structurally perfect in these ones. It, oh, yeah. In every shot. There's no wonky spaceship shots in this, you know? There's no sketchy, no. crappy spaceship shots. They're all, you know, they all look like they're to the to the correct model, you know? Yeah. I, I really, really like how the Enterprise looks, both inside mm-hmm. and out. But, uh, yeah, I mean... So, I mean I don't care that it's heavily referenced because I think that there are some points in this that to the experienced eye, it is very heavily referenced. Yeah, but you it know sort what? of reminds me of Al I'm Williamson, how Al, you know. Yeah, 
I would rather it be heavily referenced than look like that one that we did a while back that was drawn by Carmine Infantino, where we just looked at it and said, where, where is he drawing this from? You know, that had the, you know, the, the transporter room looking like a card table in a, in a computer setup or say so. it was just bizarre. Remember that one? It was just bizarre. Right. Right. So I, I'd rather it be like this. Cause I mean, there's a great shot here. I'm not sure what page this, let's see page 68 a shot of the cargo bay that's right out of Star Trek, the motion picture. I mean, it's, it, it's right out of one of the effect shots in the picture, but I like that because it, it, it gives me a point of reference. I know exactly where they are and it looks like what it's supposed to look like. I, I just, I love that. The, uh, the warp effect when the enterprise escapes the blast yep. on page 86 I mean, come on, that's right from um, Star Trek II. But I love it. Again, it's what it's it's what I expect it to look like, and, and it does. It's just beautiful. Really, really nice on the artwork in this. I, I think the artwork is is one of the strong points. I mean, not that it's not a good story. It's, it's a really, really good story, but the art just brings it up to that next level. I mean, I don't think that this would have half the 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 punch that it does if this was by you know hack artists you know of the of the day you know inked by Vinnie Coletta or something it just wouldn't work I, I would you know it could be the greatest story but it just it would lack something. well Chris Claremont it's really funny he gives it a Marvel feel but the yeah, Marvel Star you know Trek comics writing. sucked but they didn't have Chris Claremont writing them either so right um but it does. Well, it feels you know, they, very marvelly. It feels very. If it reminds, I, as soon as I was reading it, I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember what the X Men were like. <laughs> it, it's funny that you say that though, because I'll argue that about the the Marvel comics sucked only in that, you know, and, and I believe we talked about this before. The great irony to me in the start, you know, the Marvel comics Star Trek series, is that the best issue of that was the very last one. The, the last issue feels and looks exactly the way that a great Star Trek comic should look and feel. It right. looks a lot like this, as a matter of fact, because the first shot of Kirk that we get in this, you know, beyond his dream, you know, it starts with the dream sequence. But beyond his dream is where you're talking about where he's sitting and he's very pensive. Well, because um, both the these stories seat. get to actually hit on the real deep Star Trek themes rather than just a adventure right. story. They get to deep character moments and stuff. So, yeah. But after he gets splashed with water and he stands up, if you're looking at page five, that outfit he's wearing right there on the bottom of page five is very reminiscent of the outfit that he's wearing on the opening splash page of Marvel Star Trek number 18, which was the last issue. It's a shot of Kirk bouncing on a trampoline in the gymnasium aboard the Enterprise. And so I did kind of, either consciously or subconsciously, I kind of did draw a mental parallel between this and that. So it's funny that you say this has a, a Marvel feel, because, yeah, it, it definitely does. I think this could have been published under either. Yeah, it wouldn't have made company, any difference. And, and still, it wouldn't have made any difference, exactly. 
it yeah. doesn't it, it it just takes place in between stories so it doesn't have to it doesn't have to compete with any continuity everything in it is something that already right. exists and self-contained and there's no you know they didn't bring back um oh what's his name the pussified klingon oh you're right you know or anything like that any of those characters well by this time i could be wrong but i think by this time you know because this of course is is published even though the story takes place star trek 2 era or excuse me star trek 4 rather star trek 4 you know post star trek 4 this is published in 92 so it's actually more concurrent with uh it's actually right between um six and generations so by this time they were actually on the second yeah this is kind of retro series yeah and in that series dc had a directive from um paramount to ditch all those guys all all the secondary players that that marvel or excuse me that dc rather had come up with konam that's what i was trying to to give yeah konam yeah to give them characters that they could play with and place in jeopardy and stuff you know basically characters that they could do things with to add a little more whatever that they couldn't really do with the primary characters because of course you know that they're not going to kill you know kirk or anything they they basically got the edict saying nope ditch these guys we want this to be about Kirk Spock McCoy blah 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 so I'm sure that's why we didn't see you know Konam and those guys in this for for you know for okay good or me. ill yeah <laughs> yeah it's all right by me I mean I I never really developed any sort of attachment to any of those characters. I mean, maybe that'll change as we go along, because I know, you know, when we resume the series, you know, those characters will will be back in there. Um, but I mean, what is it? There was there was Konam, there was his girlfriend, the human woman, and then there was Bearclaw, which that character just grates on me the more he's in there because he doesn't seem like he ever learns a lesson. Right. You know, we've had like what, like three or four arcs now that are. Konam's a racist, but he's taught the error of his ways. And Bear then, Claw. you know, the next time you see him, what did Konam. I say? Konam's no racist. He's just a pussy. Oh, count, yeah. Yeah, Bearclaw. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? It seems like he's gone through the same lesson like three or four times now. Right. And it's like, okay, you know, e- either you're going to learn this lesson or, you know, drop it and move on to, you know, some other storyline. But I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, he's, he's the character that definitely has not worked for me not that konam really works for me either well, he's so. named after a, a, a confection anyway a, a donut so <laughs> come on <laughs> he's supposed to be american but, indian but it just sounds more like something you see a cop eating at a rest stop <laughs> <Bear claw. laughs> it could have been worse he could have been sticky, named sticky bun, bun exactly cinnabon <laughs> That should have been his nickname. <laughs> Shut up, Cinnabon. Get to work. For well, a glazer you got anything ass. Else? <laughs> you know, that gross. is gross. You got, you got anything else on Star Trek Debt of no, Honor? No, that's about it. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I wasn't pleasantly surprised because I figured it had to be something good if if it was something we picked out you, you picked out special and other people suggested so I had high expectations and they were met and surpassed so I was very happy 
how long would you guess it's been since since we were doing the regular comics yeah, coverage? It's months, been a long, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a long, good long. I do apologize. I, I think the the biggest reason, you know, beyond the the you know what I said before about time and everything else, I think the biggest reason though is that you know I, I picked this. I was really serious that we were going to cover been it. A, this is the, I mean this this I had to have you send it to me again because it'd been sitting on the desktop of my um dead computer you know for months me right. for uh, with waiting for us to be able to get to it but almost instantly when i dug it out and and started to read it again i was like you know this this is going to be a bigger project than i felt like we were really prepared to tackle at any point in the last several months so it, it just it took that you know, it took that extra effort to actually. All right, we got to sit down. We got to tackle this. But I'm glad we did. I, I'm and I'm glad you enjoyed it too, because I, I thought you would. But you know, sometimes you can't tell with with people. Well, the old space clock on the wall is telling me. Yes, it's about time to uh, fire up the old uh, computer. Let me find it here. Do do do. Man, this thing takes four ever to boot up. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Here we go. Yeah, are you ready with a uh, translation for the number? I am. 48, dude. 48 we have done. 48 was a private little war. 32. 32 we have done. That was the change. Man, Andy and I hit it on the first one last time. It was amazing. Hey, by the way, I meant to, I meant to, you know, speaking of Andy, I meant to tell you guys, you guys did a great job. On well, that. I'm did so work, jealous. Man, he wrote all the synopses and everything. Oh, his synopses were hysterical. Yeah. But you got yeah his his synopses were great and but no seriously you guys did a really fantastic job I really uh, enjoyed the episode and I was, it was a so show. jealous that I missed doing Q Who because I that's I oh, love that episode <laughs> get it <laughs> yeah but you missed some Samaritan snore what about twenty five twenty five is. It's not checked off, but I'd swear that we did this one. 25 is The Devil in the Dark. We have not done The Devil in the Dark. We have not done that? Okay, so it's next time is The Devil in the Dark. Excellent. This one made me so, drop a load in my drawers when I was a kid. Yeah, no kid. Maybe that's why I'm thinking we've done it, because I know we talked about it on one of those Halloween specials. Yes. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we've Check actually attacks. done... Yeah. Um, also next time around uh, for Star Trek, uh, monthly Monday classic, you know, TOS edition, we will also resume our regular coverage of the DC comics. I'm not sure how many we'll, we'll cover at this point. We, you know, we'll make that decision later, but I know we will at least cover the next issue in our coverage, which is issue 37. And we'll just, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. So look forward to and that. If you go to our Lipson page and look at this episode, or just go to our Lipson page. You can go to Amazon, and you can probably buy this graphic novel through Amazon. Mm-hmm. 
And you can probably buy DVDs and Blu-rays and all that of Star Trek, the original series, which you should have those anyway, just hanging around your house for as, as you know, needed nerd reference material. <laughs> so just make sure if you're buying it, buy it through our link because we are poor. Poor Scott and Chris. Gently down the stream Merrily, merrily, merrily Life is but a dream Merrily, merrily, merrily Gently down the stream Merrily, merrily, merrily Life is but a dream Merrily, merrily, Gently down the stream our latest in the Star Trek Monthly Monthly Countdown. I'm Freaky Freaksim, back in the saddle. <laughs> oh, hello listeners. It's Christopher Walken again. You may remember me from such roles as Santa Walken in the Two True Freaks Christmas special. Well, little did I know that this Demonza Corp thing was going to be a lasting contract. There was a little known seldom used reserve activation clause well kitties in other words I was drafted so from here on out I guess you can call me uh, freaky walking so let's get on with the show and uh, I would like to say goodbye to my predecessor I uh, much like Ryan Seacrest did to his buddy Casey uh, I have given the the proverbial das boot uh, excuse me, Mr. Walken. Actually, uh, Das Boot was the name of a German U-boat movie. Uh, I don't really think that's the correct term that you're using in this instance. Oh, Mr. Soundman, I apologize for my error. Um, kids, Freaky Walken will be right back. He has to go, uh, exp- Explain a few things to uh, Mr. Ebert in the sound booth. While I'm gone, I hang out and enjoy some uh, delicious Tranya. It's wonderful.
Alright, now that that's taken care of, back to the show, kids. So, our Star Trek long-distance uh, monthly dedication this week, month, year, decade, I don't know. I just get paid for this. It's all a blur. Anyway, the dedication goes out to the remaining long-in-the-tooth crew members of the USS Enterprise. Some of them have passed. Some of them are due to pass. Some of them should have passed. But for the ones that are hanging in, we'd send this song out to them and tell them not to fear the Reaper. And I got a fever. And what it needs is more hydronolin. But I don't have a song with hydronolin, so I'll take a song with more cowbell. More! More cowbell! You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. 
You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.